Amen. Amen. Well, good to have you in God's house today. We're glad that you're here. Enjoyed that worship this morning by the praise team. Thank you for that. appreciate that so much. All right, I want you to take your Bibles today, Mark chapter 9. You might have noticed if you came in a little early today, I went a little over in the last service. I got too excited about the message, and so I am excited about this message today for lots of reasons. I'll explain them to you as I go along. But I want you to take your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. I'm going to read all the way through uh, verse 29. Let's stand. Follow along now as I read. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. O oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him immediately, the spirit threw him into convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. And help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsion, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, raised him up, and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this cannot come out by anything but prayer. You may be seated. We are in our series going through the book of Mark. It's been a wonderful series and I so enjoy it. The thing I like about this one, I've entitled this message today, The Nitty Gritty of Real Faith. The Nitty Gritty of Real Faith. And I really want this to be a help to you. I've probably dealt with this more in counseling or talking to people over the years in my office. And there's some things that are said here that are going to be very helpful to you today if you'll let the Spirit of God speak to you in a personal way. Uh, I love the old story from 1870 where Charles Blondin put a wire rope across the Niagara Falls and he walked across it with just a pole. And you may remember that story, but it's beautiful. Charles Blondin went across Niagara Falls, 25,000 people showed up to cheer him on in 1870, mind you, and they watched him go across. He went all the way across, they cheered him, and then uh, what he did is he took that same uh, pole that he had and then he did it backwards back across 
I can't, I can't even do it on a stage. I'm a trip here on the stage. But, uh, and he got to the other side, and then they went crazy, and they cheered for him again. You know what he did then? He did it on stilts. He got on stilts, and he walked across Niagara Falls on stilts all the way across. Then they went crazy again and cheered him on. You know what he did then? He did it on a bicycle. And he got on a bicycle, and he rode all the way across Niagara Falls on a bicycle. And then after he did it on a bicycle, he did it in a wheelbarrow. He took a wheelbarrow and he filled it with 300 pounds of weight and he walked across Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow. After he got done with that, he said, how many believe I could do this with a man or woman in the wheelbarrow? And the crowd was just going crazy. Yes, yes. They raised their hands, cheering him on. And he said, who will volunteer? <laughs> the crowd just stopped. The cheering stopped and everybody put their hands down. Nobody was going to get in that wheelbarrow to save their life. Now, I love that story because that's a beautiful story of faith. You're going to trust that guy to take you across Niagara Falls. What God does, though, in your life is sometimes he puts you in a wheelbarrow and he doesn't give you a choice. And he says, I'm taking you across Niagara Falls. I'm going to do some things in your life. And sometimes you, with a lack of faith, will try to figure out how you're going to get out of this on your own. I got a checkbook. I got some money. I got a spouse. I got a girlfriend. I got a boyfriend. I got this job. I'm going to get out of this on my own. I got some wisdom here. But what God wants you to do is he says, I want you to experience the joy this father experienced when he saw what his faith could do and took that demon-possessed uh, demon out of the young boy. And I think this is a beautiful story in the scriptures. It's actually at the very center of the scriptures, and there's a reason for that, but I, don't, I know I won't have time to go into that today, and at some point I'll bring it back and point it out. But it's at the very center of the book of Mark. So I'm talking today about the three aspects that describe the core of nitty-gritty faith. The three aspects that describe the core of nitty-gritty faith. Here we go. Number one, I'm going to do it in a simple way. First of all, I'm going to talk about the absence of faith. The absence of faith. The first several verses show people who don't have any faith at all. Okay, and let me show that to you. Jesus returns with his disciples from the transfiguration. His nine other disciples were left down here with the crowd. And these nine disciples could not cast out this particular demon. They had cast out a bunch of de demons before this demon, but they couldn't take him on, and they could not cast him out. Well, the scribes used that as an opportunity to say, you're fake, and you know it, and your leader Jesus is fake. Now, let me just point out here that the, the uh, scribes weren't casting out the demon either, Okay. So both of them were not able to cast this demon out, and they got into an argument with each other, and all the crowd's watching, and this father's watching, who all he wants to do is see the boy uh, taken care of and helped, but they get into this argument. Jesus comes up on this argument, and Jesus says, you picking on my boys? <laughs> That's kind of what he's saying here in common vernacular. You picking on my boys? And before the scribes could answer, or the disciples could answer, the father steps forward and says, let me tell you what this is all about. I don't care about their argument. I don't care about their theology. I don't care about all the things they talk about God. I need help. And that, that's a great thought right there because this father steps forward over all of this dispute and he is not interested in the arguments about God. He just needs help. There are people you'll find in the Christian life who all they want to do is find an argument about God. And they want to go back and forth. Well, what about this? What about Calvinism? What about Arminianism? What about this about God? Well, what about that? And all they want to do is argue their faith. But they don't want to ask God for help. 
See, here's a man who didn't care about all the arguments. All he wanted was help for his boy. And somehow the disciples and the scribes missed that thought in the middle of this struggling father. So the father says, my boy is possessed. And so um, he starts to tell him the symptoms. Verse 17, I just want you to note the symptoms here. It says, uh, he's possessed with the spirit which makes him mute. He can't talk. All right, and whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth like an angry dog, and he stiffens out. He starts to stiffen out and shake uncontrollably. Now, skeptics will tell you, if you ever study this from a skeptic's perspective, this was probably a grand mal seizure or some type of epilepsy is what's going on here. And, uh, and these are the symptoms of a grand mal seizure, and these are the kind of things that he exhibited. But that doesn't mean he wasn't demon-possessed. Let me just tell you about demon possession, okay? It can't possess a believer. It can only possess an unbeliever. And so when it possesses an unbeliever, what it'll do, it'll take whatever that person's weaknesses are or whatever those, the issues that person has, and it'll intensify them. So maybe this boy did have epilepsy. Maybe he did struggle with that. And what the demon's going to do is use it in a horrible, horrific way in this family's life. And so that's the best way to understand what, how you could explain this passage because I believe it truly is a demon possession. And the Bible says that Jesus hears this argument from the Father, and look what he says in verse 19. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. <laughs> now, the question you have to ask is, who's the unbelieving generation? I'm going to tell you, uh, just to put it simply here, I believe the unbelieving generation is everybody there. First of all, the scribes who refuse to have faith and refuse to humble themselves and refuse to recognize Jesus as the Son of God, they have no faith. They won't believe. Then you got the disciples who have faith, but at this particular demon, they have no faith. In other words, what they were doing here is they were going about their duty and they had so much confidence in their power up to this point. They said, yeah, I've cast out demons. Andrew steps forward and says, watch this, Dad. Be healed. And nothing happens. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out. And the demon doesn't leave. And so here's a case where they even lack the faith to go to Jesus or to reach out to God for faith because one of their problems is prayer. You say, how do you know that? Because at the end of the story, it tells you, why couldn't we do it? And he said, this one only comes out by prayer. That's an interesting phrase. It's not just enough to have faith. You have to have prayer that develops your faith. And so in this particular case, they didn't have faith either. They just had faith in what they were used to doing. I've got this. Been here before. I can handle it but they didn't have faith either. And then I think the last one who didn't have faith was the father. First of all, he was disappointed with the disciples. They couldn't do it. They couldn't cast him out. So he blamed the disciples for failing. Second, he said to Jesus in verse um, 22, he says to Jesus, if you can do anything. And Jesus responds and says, if you can. See what he's saying. That's a certain condition in Greek, which means... I don't believe you can even do it. I doubt you can do it. I'm not certain you, your disciples couldn't do it. I don't think you can. But if you can, man, would you please have mercy on us? Would you please have mercy on us? 
And so he has doubt that Jesus can even do it. So really, in the context of this story, all of them lack the faith to handle this. Now, having said that to you, I think the best thing to do is keep moving forward here. Let me go to number two. Everybody lacks faith, but now number two, I want to talk about the object of your faith. The object of your faith. This begins in verse 20. So Jesus says in verse 19, bring him to me. Bring the boy to me. He hadn't seen the boy yet, okay? So he brings the boy to, that, to Jesus, and when he saw him, verse 20 says, immediately. Okay, now just notice that. Every time you see the word straightway or immediately, right away, in the word of God, in the book of Mark specifically, it means somebody's on mission. So when Jesus immediately went to Jerusalem, he's on mission. When the father immediately cries out to Jesus, the father's on mission to get his boy healed. This one, immediately the demon knocks the boy down. Now the demon's on mission for his mission. That's the way you want to see the word immediately throughout the Bible or throughout the book of Mark specifically. And so immediately this demon uh, throws this boy down and uh, it literally says he threw him into a convulsion like an epileptic fit, falling to the ground. He began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Now, uh, I do think it's important to note why could the demons or why could the disciples not cast out this demon? First of all, the demon knows and recognizes this is Jesus. This ain't like no other demon before. This is the last demon possession in the book of Mark, and this demon has all the qualities of the other demons and more. And if you compare all the other demon possessions in the book of Mark, you'll find this is the worst because he has an ability that the others didn't. All the other demons, when they came and recognized Jesus, they bowed down. This demon like spits in his face in a sense saying, I can't do anything to you, Jesus, but watch what I can do to this boy. And he doesn't bow down before Jesus. He begins to throw this boy into convulsions and he begins to uh, crash him to the ground, if you will, and he begins to harm the boy in every way that he can. Now, what is that telling us? This is a different kind of demon. And the reason they couldn't cast him out is because this demon required prayer. Now, why? Notice what it says in verse 28. I want you to see this. They said, why could we not drive it out? And look what Jesus said. This kind. This kind. Every demon is not the same. This kind of demon is very difficult. This kind of demon is very stubborn. This kind of demon is very evil. And so this kind you couldn't cast out because you didn't pray. You trusted in yourself. You always cast out demons, but this one is much stronger. He is not your run-of-a-mill demon. He is high up on the food chain of the underworld. So it's not like any other demon in the book of Mark. And so this particular demon is stubbornly throwing this boy down, attacking this boy right in front of Jesus, almost to say, I can't get you, but I can get this boy. And Jesus says, now bring him to me. He brings the boy to him, and he sees all this going on. He sees all of this uh, convulsions and all this attacking. Now I want you to understand this about Jesus, okay? Jesus says to him, how long has he been going through this? Jesus is not there like with a clipboard, like a doctor and saying, now what are his symptoms? That's not it at all. What Jesus, this is the first time he's seen the demon. 
Jesus is taken back. He's almost distraught that this boy has been going through this horrific demon possession unlike any other one. And Jesus is like, this is horrific. This is gruesome. How long has this boy been going on like this? And the father answers from childhood. Now, if you take the first verse, he said he called him his son. The word son in the Hebrew is 14 to 21 years of age for a teenager. So from his childhood is 7 to 13. So that means at least seven years, this, this young little child, all the way to his teenage years, somewhere uh, beyond the childhood ages, 14 upward, this boy has been struggling with this demon possession. And you should just feel the weight of that. That's why Jesus is taken back. It's almost like he's looking at an innocent boy and saying, it's not right for this demon to destroy this kid's life. But that's what demons love to do. They want to destroy lives. They want to they bring people to the point of stealing, killing, or destroying them. And so this demon is bent on this, and Jesus is distraught by this because he sees the condition that this boy is actually in. And so as you look at this, the father then pipes up and says, let me tell you something else he's been doing. The father realizes the compassion of Jesus, and he's taken back by this, and he says, he said, uh, every time I go by fire, the demon makes my boy get in the fire to destroy him and we got to go into the fire to pull him out. Every time my boy is near water, the demon senses that and rushes him into the water to drown him. That demon wants to kill my boy and we can't take our eyes off him. We got to keep our eyes on him the whole time. For seven years, they've been keeping their eyes on their, on their kid because he's not like anybody else's kid. So, that's the intensity of this text. And uh, um, so the father says, can you help me? Can you help me? And Jesus says at this point in verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can, are you doubting me? Dad, are you doubting me right now? He says, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, I need to stop and say that is the most misused verse in Christian, Christianity that I know of. All things are possible. If you just have enough faith, you can do anything. Let me tell you something. That's a bad translation. I want you to get this, okay? If you just had enough faith, you could do it because I've had people sit in my office, people with epilepsy, people who've struggled with different things in their life, People have had a tough time. And over the years of my ministry, they've sat there and sometimes they've come to tears saying, I guess I didn't have enough faith. Should I have had enough faith to be healed of my epilepsy? They prayed over me. They put their hands, they anointed oil over me. They did all kinds of things. I guess I, guess I just didn't have enough faith. Pastor Rob, do you think I had enough faith? Why can't I be healed? That is the most misused verse. It doesn't mean that if you just have enough faith, you have super faith, you can do anything. That is not what it means. Now let me show you that in context. Look at Mark 14, same book. That makes it a powerful verse. Mark chapter 14, Jesus said the same phrase to the Father. And I want you to see it. 
The Bible says he was in the garden in Mark chapter 14, verse 35. He fell to the ground and he began to pray, if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. In other words, I don't want to go to the cross. Can I get out of this? And he said, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. There it is, same phrase. All things are possible. Lord, would you, Father, would you take away this cup from me? Would you not let me go to the cross? Anything's possible. Now let me ask you something. Did Jesus have, not have enough faith? All things are possible. You could do it. I have enough faith. Did Jesus not have enough faith because he had to go to the cross? No, look what he says. Remove this cup from me. I don't want to go in my humanity. Well, he's speaking of his humanity. Yet not what I will, but what you will. That's the phrase you need to everything that happens in your life. Okay? It's not that you didn't have enough faith to get healed of your leprosy. It's not that you didn't have enough faith to believe and it didn't come through. It wasn't that you failed. What you have to do is you have to learn this with God, okay? That when you say, I have faith to believe you, God, but God, I believe you. Well, God says, now submit that to my purpose, to my will, to my plan. It's not that you somehow failed. If there's one thing that puts Christians in guilt, that is it. That you weren't some super faith Christian your whole life and you doubt yourself as a Christian now because of it. And, and I'm telling you on the basis of this passage, this is a faith-filled prayer of Jesus. God, I believe you can do anything, but I submit myself to your will. God, I'd like to not go to the cross. I don't want to go, but if it's your will, I'm going. See, that's a faith-filled prayer. Faith, faith is essential, but it's not a guarantee of anything. Just weigh that out in your life because that is so important to learn. So important to learn. Okay? So what does the father do with that statement? Immediately, okay, he's on mission now. The boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I love that. That is a great phrase. I want you to get this in your heart here this morning. I'm so burdened by that one phrase. Faith is not always without doubt or unbelief in your life. Faith is not without doubt or unbelief in your life. Jesus still healed him, and he didn't have perfect faith. You get that in your heart, okay? The truth of the matter is I'm not sure any of us have 100% faith, ever, because we got baggage. we got baggage over things. But let me go on, because I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute, okay? You don't have to have 100% certainty to see God work. That's worth writing down somewhere, okay? You don't have to have 100% certainty. He said, I believe, but help the part of me that doesn't believe. Help me overcome that part of me, God, because I'm struggling right now. But help me with that part of my life. In all honesty, you can be a Christian simply because you have more reasons to believe in Christ than you have to not believe in Christ. You don't have to be convinced of everything in the Bible. You don't, you don't have to have every question answered before you can believe in Jesus Christ. There are going to be some things you don't got figured out. But if you have a testimony, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who died on a cross as your substitute, and you said, Lord, I make you my Lord and Savior. Let me tell you something. I don't care what other elements of faith you don't have according to the Word of God. If you got that faith, you're on your way to heaven. 
You may still have doubts. You may still have questions. I still have questions. And there's things that we wrestle with. But the truth of the matter is, this man turns to Jesus with both faith and doubt. This is beautiful. This is beautiful to get in your heart. It is not the measure or depth of your faith you possess that gets a response from God. It is the object you place it in that matters. If you're placing that faith in Jesus Christ, no matter how little it is, no matter how little it is, that's all you need to do. If you struggle, you say, Lord, I want to believe you, and I'm putting my faith in you, everything I got. Not my wife, not my spouse, not my girlfriend, not my boyfriend, not my paycheck, not all these things I can count on to help me through this. Well, maybe a little, God. Maybe a little. Maybe that's a little in there. That's okay. That's okay. Because you don't got 100% faith. There are times you come to God and you say, God, I'm struggling with this. I believe you, but boy, there's parts of me that are really wondering right now what in the world you're doing. And I got some obstacles and I'm having a tough time overcoming this one. Matter of fact, I'm a little upset with you. But I still believe you. I still believe you. That's okay. That's okay. Just say that to God. Lord, I'm struggling right now, but I'm choosing to trust in you because you are the object of my faith. Do I got some other objects? Yeah, I'm trusting in my wife. I'm trusting in my husband. I'm trusting in this. I'm trusting in that. I'm trusting in my parents. I'm trusting in my checkbook. I'm trusting in all these things I got. I'm trusting in my money. I'm trusting in my 401k. I'm trusting in my... But God, ultimately, I know I struggle with those things because sometimes those get mixed into my faith in you. It's okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter how conflicted your faith is. He receives our faith when it is equally conflicted. That is beautiful to know, no matter what age you are in Christ. It's beautiful to know. Okay, let me back up and just tell you a story, okay? I was looking for some syrup in the refrigerator the other day. And I don't know why, where there's two people in my family and our refrigerator is still packed to the gills with stuff. I mean, we got everything in there. We got, I got pork ribs from a week ago in there that I got left over from a restaurant. We got, we got, the thing is just full and I can't find nothing half the time. My wife gets all frustrated with me. I can't find the syrup. Where's the syrup? She'll say down, look, just look, it's there. We got probiotics now. When you get older, you got to have probiotics in your refrigerator. I got antibiotics. I got robotics. I got everything in my refrigerator. It's awful what we got in our refrigerator. I can't find it. I've looked everywhere. There's no syrup. Are we out of syrup? She comes down the steps in total frustration. and she'll over the, If you would just look, I did look. She said, you looked with your eyes. She said, I'm going to teach you how to really look. Okay, teach me how to really look. Watch this. You see what I'm lifting up? That's the milk. You see what I'm lifting up? The eggs. You don't just look. you got to lift some things. Smarty pants, that's what I say about her. And then she always finds the syrup within about three seconds, and there it is. She pulls it out of a hat like a rabbit, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. And there's that syrup. I'm telling you, it wasn't there two minutes ago. You snuck it in. And so she gets the syrup out, and she says, you got to learn to look, but you got to learn to lift. Mm. 
I better not say anything else. I'll lose my Christianity up here. All right, but anyways, God is saying to you, okay? God is saying to you, sometimes you look, but you don't live. You look, but you don't live. Oh, you say, I look. Some of you will say, I, I, I've lost my faith, Pastor Rob. You didn't lose your faith. You didn't lose your faith. The truth is, you just don't know how to look. It's there. It's there, I'm telling you. You just don't know how to look. Sometimes you'll say things like this. Have you ever felt like I'm losing my mind? Or you'll say something like this. I feel like I'm losing it. You didn't lose it. You didn't lose it. Understand this, okay? You have to learn how to look. You have to learn how to look. Let me explain that. You can have unbelief, but it doesn't make you an unbeliever. You can have unbelief, but it doesn't make you an unbeliever. Oh, that's good to hear. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, understand this. At that moment, he got faith. He got belief. I believe. Right then, at that immediate moment, he got faith. I believe. But his unbelief, his unbelief came over a long period of time. Got faith right then. I believe, but help my unbelief. Because I got a long history when things didn't work out so well. This boy has been seven years with a demon-possessed spirit. We have tried doctors. We have tried everybody. We tried your disciples, and it couldn't work. And let me tell you something. Over a period of time when you have enough heartache and enough pain and enough things happen to you, that's a pretty strong thing right there. I believe, God, I believe right now it's immediate, but over a long period of time, you've been through some things, that you've suffered some things, that that unbelief just kind of crops up in your heart. I believe, but help my unbelief. His unbelief came over a long period of time, ever since that boy was a child. All the layers of suffering, no hope, no help. And I want you to hear this, okay? Long-time suffering has a way of layering unbelief over belief. And it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Long-time suffering has a way of layering unbelief over belief. Beneath all those layers of the things you've experienced is still you who trust God. Some things have really whacked you upside the head and knocked your faith for a loop. But you still believe. Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, what did this guy do? The first thing he did is he blamed the disciples. They couldn't do it. Then he didn't really believe Jesus. Jesus said, if you can... He didn't really believe Jesus could do it, but he realized at that moment, I'm going to have to own this myself. I've got to stop blaming everybody else for why things aren't going right, and I'm going to have to own this myself. Now here, this is beautiful. Do you have the guts and the honesty to pray that? Do you have the guts and the honesty to pray this? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. See, some of the people just want to say, well, I have faith. I have faith. Let me tell you something. Most of us are like this man. I believe, but I have unbelief too. I have been beat up over some things, and I'm not quite sure I totally trust you, God. I'm not sure you can pull this off. Listen, I, my boy has been like this. Why should my boy be like this and everybody else's is okay? 
I mean, just think of all the questions that, that would go through this father's mind. So he, it's, he says, I'm going to have to own this. Help my unbelief. As layer and layer of disappointment comes, faith doesn't disappear, it deteriorates. You have enough stories of long-suffering, your faith will deteriorate. We don't lose faith. We misplace it. We don't lose it. We misplace it. The object of your faith has to be Jesus. The Father said of, his, of the disciples, they can't do it. They weren't the ones he needed to trust in. Many of you lost your faith in Jesus because you put your faith in people. I can't tell you how many people have left this church because somebody in this church hurt them or failed them or said something to them that wasn't right. I've learned as a pastor, you can't fix scrambled eggs. I can't fix some things in people. But I have learned that what people will do is they'll lose their faith in Jesus because people have hurt them. And they lost their faith or they put their faith in people instead of in Jesus. So we lose our faith in God because somebody else let us down. The risk is, the risk is, here's the risk, because people let you down, you walk away from what God has for you. See, this man was conflicted. I believe, but there's a part of me that I've been through so much suffering, so much disappointment, so much heartache. I'm not sure I can pull this off, Lord. You better help that piece of me. You better help me on that. I've heard this as a bad, I don't go to church, I got burned. I don't go to church, I got burned. You know what Ern Lutzer, Lutzer says to that? Ern Lutzer says, uh, he says this, he said, have you ever had a bad meal? Do you still eat? You still eat, don't you? And so when you think about that, I, I just want this to be caught in your heart. The proof of faith is not the absence of doubt. How many people have counseled or talked to over this is they're going to have doubts. They're going to have doubts about their salvation. They're going to have doubts about life. They're going to have doubts about these things. That doesn't mean you're not saved. If you just have enough faith and you still have unbelief, Jesus said, I'll work with that. I'll work with that. But Jesus did what the man needed even though the man wasn't perfectly convinced Jesus could do it. I love that. I love that. Because the man, and here's what I want you to get, because the man invited Jesus into a place where he had his greatest doubt and his greatest pain. And the man opened up and said, I've got a lot of pain, I've got a lot of doubt. And you deal with that kind of honesty before Jesus? Jesus says, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you. But you've got to be honest. You can't sit there and say, you've got 100% faith about something. Sometimes you've got to admit that you've got some great doubts and you've got some great pain. And you've got to invite Jesus into that. You've got to invite Jesus into that. Your faith isn't gone. You just need to know where to look. Right underneath your doubt. All the layers of disappointment, you just got to learn to lift and look. Lift and look. 
You didn't lose your faith. You stopped looking beneath the surface. All right, that's point two. Point three, and I got to close here. Point three, I already ran out of time. Okay, here we go. The power of faith, all right? Jesus speaks to this foul spirit, and he says to him, be gone and don't ever enter him again. And the boy fell to the ground as dead. The majority of the people said, he's dead. This is important, okay? You don't want to miss this. You don't want to just skip over that. He's dead. Jesus used a few moments of time to let them all believe that. He let them all believe that the boy was dead. He just kind of sat there and let people say, he's dead, he's dead. Now imagine what it would have been like for that father at that moment. My boy's dead. You killed him. You told me to have faith. Did I not have enough faith? Was I faithless? Is that why my boy died? Think about this for a minute. He gives just enough time for the boy, for the father to just feel the weight of my boy's dead, and he gives the crowd enough time to see that the kid looks like he's dead. Um, this is an important point, okay? When you take a step of faith, things often get worse before they get better. You just remember that. The minute you step out for God, I promise you, and you believe God and you take him at his word, it'll get worse before it'll get better. It'll look like he's dead. It'll look like it's worse. I remember I preached a couple years ago to church and I did five, they wanted me to do five messages on faith. So I did the first four and then it was like the Spirit of God spoke to me, make your fifth one, it could get bumpy. The last night of the services I did at that church, that was my last message, it could get bumpy. Because once you start practicing one to four, be ready for number five. It could get bumpy. Jesus goes over, takes him, and raises him up. Some battles you can't face apart from faith and prayer. You want to be prayed up and ready before that time comes. Cultivate a lifestyle of faith, but cultivate a lifestyle of prayer. Why? So you're equipped in the moment, in the moment. Let me tell you this story, and I'll close, okay? I know I went a little over in the last one. I'm going to go over here again. It's, it's just worth it, okay? Uh, this, this memory flashed back to me about 10 years ago. My cousin Mikey, well, my uncle invited all of us to Corolla Beach, uh, to spend in two beach houses, all of our cousins, and he got us all back together. There was like 40 or 50 of us at these two beach houses, and we just, it was just incredible. I think it was three beach houses, actually, and he paid the whole thing. And um, we just had a great time together. Well, my one cousin, Mikey, he's a little younger than me, he had a Jeep. And so at Corolla Beach, you know, you get to the end of the beach and there's no road anymore, and now you just ride your Jeep or whatever you got, and you can ride it on the beach, and then you go back up in the dunes, and you can ride up in the dunes there where the, you know, where the wild things are, the wild horses and stuff like that. It's just a cool experience. So he took five of us, Donna, Louise, me, and Mikey, and Stevie, and we got in that Jeep, and we started riding up to the end of the island, past Corolla, and we got, we started just driving up into that, I guess it's the Currituck Reserve, and we started riding up in there, having a good old time. We got miles down that road, and all of a sudden, we saw a horse walking across the beach there, and we said, wow, look at that thing, and so we just stopped the Jeep, and we looked at it, and then it walked away up into the dunes. I said, let's follow it, 
And so we went up into the dunes and we followed it and the horse started taking off. And Mikey hit the gas of his Jeep and he started chasing the horse. We went up over a dune and we went over that dune. The horse is still running. Now, I don't know if this is legal or not, so don't tell anybody this, okay? But uh, we went over the dune and flop right into the sand. And there were the four wheels of halfway into the sand from a very soft, uh, just really loose sand. And we didn't move. I said, Mikey, gun it, man. We got to get out of here. He didn't gun it. He said, everybody out of the car. He got everybody out of the car. He said, you go let the tires, you just let the air out of the front tires. I'll let the air out of the back tires. I said, what? He said, let the air out of the tires. I said, how much? He said, a lot. And so I went to the front tire, started letting, he said, he got the other girls. He said, you get the mats in the front, in the, in the front seats and in the back of the seat. They got the mats out. And he told the other uh, Stevie, he said, you start digging out behind the tires. So there I am letting air out of the tire. I mean, we look like the Indy 500 pit crew. They're trying to get this Jeep out of that, uh, out of that, out of that place. We're miles and miles, and now the sun's starting to go down. We are miles from our beach house, and there is nobody around but that wild horse. And so we start getting everything there. I, I, I let the air out of both the front tires. He lets the air out of the back. He took the uh, car mats. He slid them on the back side of the front tires. Took the other one, slid them on the back side there. He told my other cousin, get these mats he's got in the back. They roll out, and he put those back behind the back tires. He said, now all four of you get in the front of the Jeep and start pushing. And he got in the Jeep, and when he got in the Jeep, he, he turned on the car he started backing out. We're, we're jerking the Jeep there, and all of a sudden it caught on those mats, and then it caught on these other mats he had, and boom, foop, we're up on top of the dune, and we are back on solid sand or solid ground, and we are out of there. 15, 20 minutes max. I couldn't believe it. Sun's gone down now. It's dark, and we're driving back home on the beach, and I'm thinking to myself, my cousin has been stuck before. That guy knew exactly what he was doing. So I got to thinking about that, and, and, then, and I wanted to say this to you, and I'm going to kind of close it out here, but, but as that experience happened to us, faith is not something we measure, but it is something that grows over time. And here's the deal. When you see God respond in small things, when you see God respond when you get stuck, He teaches you at that moment. He trains you. He builds you up at that moment. So when you're really stuck, your eyes are not fixated on the fact that the sun's going down. You're miles away from the beach house, and you don't know what you're going to do to get out of that situation. You're going to have to walk miles back to your beach house, or you're going to have to call somebody to come get you. But at that time, we didn't have any phone. There was no phone working out at that place. So that when you get really stuck, your eyes aren't fixated on that. You're like Mikey. You've been there before, and you jump into action. That's how faith works when you get stuck. You've been there before, and you jump into action. Now, there's two ways to end this sermon, okay? And both of these I want to apply to anyone in this room that the Spirit of God is speaking to in a personal way. If you're here and life is smooth for you right now, how much are you praying? How much are you are praying? How much are you preparing yourself for the day you get stuck? Because that that's what God wants you to do. If things are smooth, 
You ought to be praying right now, preparing yourself for the next time you're going to get stuck. So he can train you, he can teach you, and you go into action. But you've got to pray beforehand, like the disciples failed to do. All right, that's one way I could go, because some of you, things are going smooth right now, and you just need to be prepared for the day you get stuck. The second one is you're here and you are stuck. You are stuck. The person's in the hospital. You don't have a job right now. The prognosis is uncertain. The marriage is shaky. Or maybe you're just running out of time with something in your life. Maybe you're just running out of time. I'm going to tell you what to do, okay? You pray to the Father, and first you confess your prayer of faith. I believe. I believe. And then the second thing you do is you ask him to help your unbelief. You got to get honest. You got to take those layers of disappointment and pain and you got to bring them to him and just say, help my unbelief. And ask him to give you the faith you don't possess, but give him all the faith you got. Give him all the faith you got. Just say, be my sufficiency in my time of trouble. There you go. All right, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet. Close your eyes. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Here's what I want to do. Bring the lights down. Let the praise team come up. Here's what I want to do just before the praise team sings. You may have something right now in your life where you can feel like you're kind of stuck and you need God to work and you need God to move. And you would say this morning, that's me. That's me. I've run into something, and I, I need your help. I want to invite you to the altar right now, and I want you to come, and I want you to just put that at the altar and do exactly what I said. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. And I just want you to bring that. Or maybe things are smooth for you right now, and all you need to do is just come and pray, God, just prepare me for that next time I get stuck. I need to get ready for that. And maybe that's something on your heart right now that things are going smooth for you, and you just need to bring it and pray and say, God, I'm here today to just prepare myself. <laughs> i got to strengthen myself. There's some things going to come at me that are going to be like demons, and i got to be ready. If, that, if that's either one of your prayers, those are the two prayers I'm asking you to come this morning. I just want you to step out. Right now, I want you to put that at the altar, and I want you to just reach out to God right now. If you're coming with something, you feel kind of stuck or you're running out of time, just say it. God, I'm confessing my prayer of faith to you. I believe. But God, I'm asking you to help my unbelief. Give me a faith I don't possess. I'm going to give you all the faith I got. God says, that's enough. That's all I want from you, child. That's it. That's enough. You got just a little of that. That's enough. That's enough. Doesn't have to be 51%. <laughs> it's probably all messed up. But it's enough for God to use. All right, well, folks are coming. If there's still need in your life, you can come. We're going to just let the praise team go ahead and sing. But as they're singing, let's just make this a time where we reflect and honor God in this very moment as he speaks to each of our hearts. You come as God leads. <laughs>